Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now, without further ado, and uh, this gentleman, wait a minute, turned on the wrong switch. Got to hit the right button here. Good morning to Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you, my I'm friend? I'm doing great. Had a good weekend, Thanksgiving. Now, you had 30 people, right? Well, almost. We had my my six kids and their spouses and 13 grandkids. 13? And we had a great week. We played games. We ate. We danced. We did everything and also found out that number 14 grandchild is on its way. Really? When do they expect it to knock on the door? (laughs) About July. Really? But I have a tradition, Zeb, that with my kids, when they have their first child, I build them a cradle. Oh, boy. And... uh, let them design it how they want it, uh, you know, what style, one thing, another. So uh, I'm going to build my fifth cradle here, and uh, I enjoy really? doing that, though. God bless. You know, see, I don't have that talent. I would hand them a shoebox. <laughs> well, that would work for a little while. <laughs> It'd have to be the size of Shaquille O'Neal's. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so you did it, have a good Thanksgiving, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was So did nice. we. We went up to Toby's, yeah. and we had about 19 or 20 people up there, and it was phenomenal. My yeah. daughter, I hope she's listening right now this morning, she had a menu that would knock your socks off delicious. It yeah. was great. And for the next few days, we eat some more, right? I finished it off last night. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I'm going to. we're going to go to a mining area and an event that took place there, but I'm, I need to give a little bit of background. We're going to be talking about an area in northern California, a couple of rivers, one the Trinity River. Which, I know where it is. Uh, it's a major river in the northwest of California. I've and, been on it. Okay. Yeah. And it's the principal tributary of the Klamath River, which flows through Oregon and California and into the Pacific. Right. So, And then I'm going to talk about a couple of tribes that are... Uh, a little lesser known. There's one called the Hoopa Indians, and they're located in what they call the Hoopa Valley, which is about an eight-mile stretch long along the Trinity River. And then there's, the, and I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, the Karuk Indians, uh, which means up river people, and they lived along the Klamath. So, and they actually lived in wooden houses. So yeah. that kind of gives you an idea of where we're going to be talking about this story. Okay. Right? So, uh, you know, for miles up and down the diggings where northern California's Klamath River forks off from the Trinity, and pick and shovel miners, they were swarming over this place every place they could get, uh, uh, you know, like ants. A lot of gold up there. Yeah, and they all knew of a guy by the name of Philip Kane Rickmeyer. Okay, so he's the the main character we're going to be talking about today, Philip Kane Rickmeyer, and they always thought he was a little bit odd, okay, mm-hmm. a little bit different. And Eccentric. You'll, you'll, you'll understand as we go along here. Okay. And not that he was unfriendly. He was civil enough to talk to and was generous to a fault, and he would actually help out a fellow gold miner if the guy was going through a rough spell, if his claim just kind of gave out. Uh, so he was a good guy, uh, well-known among the, the other miners. Okay. But this is a little bit odd. At night, he you could see a lantern flickering about his camp. Uh, he didn't carouse with the guys that were out drinking or uh, playing cards, gambling, things like that. He did not participate that in that. But night after night, he would sit inside his crude lean-to shelter and preferring the company of his books 
to the humanity that struck out along the river. So, again, this is a little unusual for somebody back in those days to to be uh, reading books instead of, you know, playing cards or one yeah. thing or another. Yeah. So, anyway, so the time was 1855, seven years after a guy by the name of Major Pearson B. Redding, uh, or reading, uh, he was trapping furs along the mountain rivers, and he struck the Trinity River at a place now called Redding's or Reading's Bar. It, it, you... Redding, California, Redding. was named after him too. Okay, and anyway, he came upon the placer uh, deposits, which started the gold stampede into the Trinities. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, folks, this is right up near the uh, Oregon Cal- uh, Cal- California border. Well, the miners paid uh, little attention to the fact that this was Indian country. They, uh, the Hoopa Indians had been fishing here for centuries, and the fact that the miners with their rockers and what they did, you know, it, it muddied the river yeah. and made it difficult for these Indians to survive. Yeah. So they just, the miners just kind of hacked away at the Hoopa and the Karo, uh Sacred River rocks to get, the, get to the good gold. Well, the Indians, for the most part, uh, out of maybe fear, because there was a lot of uh, white people, and uh, they had guns. Of course, the white people did. So they declined full-scale war and kind of confined their revenge to a few times they'd go out at night against individual cabins or undermanned pack trains. So they did make a few raids. Um, But this Philip Rickmeyer's camp was particularly vulnerable because it was situated as it was a short way east of the confluence of the Klamath and the Trinidad Rivers, where they came together. I have a question here. Okay. Now, what were the tribe names again? There was the Karuk and Hoopa. And the Hoopa. Now, what about, were they in uh, kind of concert with the Modocs? They were, uh, yes. And there was another, uh, uh, there was about four tribes that kind of hung around together. I'm very familiar with the Modocs up in that area. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but like I said, they... Didn't do a lot, but they would go out on raids here and there. But like I say, uh, this Rickmeyer, this Philip Rickmeyer, he had a, a camp right there by the Trinity and Klamath Rivers. And uh, it was actually where a Yurok village uh, kind of stood up above, uh, kind of on a bluff above where they could actually kind of watch this guy's camp. Wow. So, but he didn't seem to worry about it. So anyway, Rick Meyer shared his cabin with seven other prospectors, each of whom had individually purchased a share in the claim, and they were now working together uh, after the original owners had worked off the Rick surface, Placer, and moved on to other pickings. These eight men really didn't have much in common, aside from their interest in gold, you know, the gravel. And the other seven men, they were kind of loud. They were kind of obnoxious. And uh, you probably won't believe this, but they uh, sometimes were a little bit profane. Oh, my. Yeah, I know. That's a surprise. Uh, And actually, they kind of made fun of Rick Meyer. I see. (laughs) They kind of, you know, hey, this guy's reading books. uh, What's wrong with him? So, anyway... uh, the reading of the books uh, kind of and and he actually sympathized with the Indians. Rick Meyer did. Uh-huh. Um, so you know the Yurok Braves, uh, they'd sometimes bring him fresh game, uh, and unfortunately, some of the miners would take advantage of the Indians. And if they wanted something, they would just go to their camp. And if they had a fresh deer or elk, they take it. They just take it. Ooh. So anyway. Uh, then came a night in June that kind of changed everybody's minds about what 
was going on. I right? see. So the plot thickens right here. Oh, my. Uh, Is it time for a commercial? No. Oh. <laughs> so picture this. It was a dark night when, as usual, Rick Meyer was lost in his reading, and his seven companions were kind of drowsy drunk on raw whiskey and deep into a game of blackjack. About midnight, the camp's watchdog, a, guy, a dog by the name of Old Bully, Old Bully, Old Bully, Old Bully, started stirring from the floor beside Rick Meyer's chair, mm-hmm. and his ears kind of cocked back, the hair on the back of his neck stood on end, and he began giving out kind of, you've heard these dogs, they're kind of a throaty, sort of a growl. Oh, yeah, Ruby does it all the time. Yeah, and the eight men all came to the same conclusion and exclaimed, uh, Indians... We're, the Indians are coming. Yeah. Well, they turned out the lights. They grabbed their guns and they crouched behind. They went outside and crouched behind some boulders outside the cabin, and they were waiting in the dark to surprise their attackers, which uh-huh. they supposed would be Indians. Yeah. Well, an hour passed. Rick Meyer's companions now somewhat sober after being out in the cold, cool air. Uh, f- uh, so they were getting more and more itchy fingered and trigger happy, and uh, the dog kept up this nervous kind of pacing back and forth yeah so rick meyer decided to take the initiative so he said come on boys he said in a low voice old bully keeps pointing toward the river those indians must be on the other side if they don't come to us let's take the boat and cross over to them it's almost moonrise it'll be too late to surprise them soon no there was still dark before the moon had come up so it was and as the moon comes up, obviously it's good. Well, I thought Rick Meyer was a friend of the Indians. Well, he is. Oh. Okay. So they were moving as quietly as they could. They launched the boat, and they put old Bully, the dog, in the front of the boat to, to kind of smell out Yeah, the way. And they set their course for uh, by, by watching the dog. Well, the river was still kind of swollen from spring rain, so that a crossing was kind of dangerous, even by daylight, and more so at night. Well, the current was swift and full of little, these little eddies and one thing or another, and the, the dark uh, in the dark, there was no way of knowing the location of the, like rocks that were submerged or tree snags and one thing or another. Well, by the time they had got their way across 50 or so yards of water, they were uh, feeling with their oars, it was getting light enough to make out the outline of objects along the shore that they were headed to. Well, old Bully, the dog, didn't seem interested in landing. His growls and whines indicated his concern was downstream. So, with the dog as a pilot, they inched their way along the river's edge until they could barely discern a white blur of something entangled in the branches Uh-oh. Of, a, of a fallen alder tree. Uh-huh. Well, one of the miners leaned forward uh, to investigate, and he said, quote, it's a body. And kind of uneasily, he said, uh, drowned dead or in a mule, he says. And on closer inspection, he said, it's a woman, a white woman. Wait a minute. You really got me confused now. So there, Okay, so there, there was something across the river. Yeah. And they thought it might be Indians. But yeah. as they got over there. And but it was a dead body, a woman in the water. Yeah, right, on the sh- right next to the shore, mm. caught, caught in a tree. So... Anyway, uh, the Indian scare kind of got forgotten, and the guys in the boat pointed the boat around to where they could lift the body over the side, and they began to inch their way back across the Klamath River, and their nervous chattering kind of roused the neighboring camps. Uh, other miners along the bar, and by the time they reached the shore, they had a pretty good crowd of guys waiting there. 
these other miners. That so they made it back to their side of the right. river. Uh-huh. But there were enough volunteers to help hoist the corpse out of the boat and provide a good procession back to the cabin where they laid this form out on a table uh, improvised by two crude benches. Now, the sight of a woman of their own kind was pretty much a rare thing in those wilderness camps and that even death her presence was enough to kind of get the guys talking and by so they mor- didn't know who she was no huh? and by morning there was a long lineup outside the cabin door waiting to just get a glimpse of this of this lady that had drowned well the biggest shock came when they discovered their fi- find the woman was not only a white woman but a young very beautiful and richly dressed woman and from the obviously expensive jeweled uh, jewelry she's had hanging from her ears and her just a delicate shoes, her whole wardrobe indicated that she was a lady of refinement, not just, you know, uh, uh, somebody that was it had to be somebody that had money at one point. Yeah. Anyway, it was entirely out of place in this atmosphere uh, of the mind. <clears throat> And uh, they said, she looks like an angel fallen from heaven. And someone whispered, and the word was rapidly passed back over the shoulders of the men outside. It was, it was just an amazing thing, okay? Now, early the next morning, the miners held a council for, by now, all of the men felt a, an important stake in this affair. They felt like this is something very important. Now, Rick Meyer uh, was obviously left her laying on the benches. Well, no, she's in a in a cabin on oh, a, on a bench. Okay. Okay. Now, Rick Meyer was obviously the most refined of the lot, and the men, by kind of unspoken agreement, began to look at him for leadership. So, under his guidance, it was decided that it wouldn't be fitting for them to lay out a young lady for burial. So, the only other women nearby were the Indians. So at Rick Meyer's suggestion, the miners agreed to request some of the Yurok Indian women uh, to handle this task of getting the body ready for for burial. burial, So a messenger was dispatched, and his uh, respectful invitation to the village chief created a bit of an excitement uh, among the Indians, and as the appearance of the girl's body had among the miners. So it was the first time the miners had asked rather than demanded anything of the Indians. So, as I mentioned before, sometimes they just go take from the Indians. This time they went and asked, could you please come and help us with this situation? So, once convinced that this request was sincere, the Indians fell into the spirit of the occasion with as much excitement as they could. The Yurok's were well acquainted with the treachery and unpredictability of the river that lived. uh, They thought this river was actually uh, possessed. They, they thought the Klamath, they called it the Red Devil, in fact. Mm. So they thought the river was possessed. But uh, anyway, so they thought it was amazing that, that this young woman who, uh, was preserved. And the Yurok, um, they, they came down with their medicine woman. They wove a watertight basket of porcupine quills, which carried the, the, the woman. And the uh, they brought out the best of their young daughters. Um, and the girls were, the, these young girls were ornamented with hoops of shell and beads and reeds woven uh, ceremonial hats. They made the big deal, a and big celebration. And they didn't know who she was. Not yet, no. So the Indians joined in this big, I, I don't want to say celebration, but uh, that's kind of what it was. So... 
so and so anyway, uh, they were ceremonially decked out with the young girls in, in, and the whole village turned out as an honor guard and began to a stately caravan of dugout boats up the Klamath. And not to be outdone, the miners organized a formal welcoming party. Now, under Rickmeyer's direction, the Yurok's removed the clothing from the corpse, exclaiming and chattering over their first encounter with silk and fine linen. Mm-hmm. While the girls washed the clothes in the river and laid them out on rocks to dry in the sun, some of the miners began making a coffin, while others built a big fire, and they accepted contributions for feeding the assembly. So now you've got a whole bunch of Indians and a whole bunch of miners getting together uh, almost for a banquet. Yeah. You know, can I sound a little morbid here? Sure. This woman that fell in the water and drowned, I mean, my goodness, uh, they can't leave her out too long, can they? No. So this is all taking place within a day or so. I see. So it's moving along. So the miners assessed themselves generously of their precious stores of beans, flour, lard, potatoes. Holy shit. It cost $20 per hundredweight to pack flour by mule, trained from the Union. But on this occasion, the miners were lavish with their grub. The Yurok's made their contribution to of venison, roots, uh, and the grizzled miners squatted to peel spuds. Can you p- picture that? The miners are kneeling down, no. peeling potatoes. Yeah. Uh, they had biscuit dough alongside the Yurok Indians' uh, uh, mush. So by sundown, this is the next day, so it didn't take that long. By sundown, the feast was ready and the corpse laid out in style, clothes rearranged and candles burning at her head and feet. Now, through the night-long wake that followed, the miners took turns sitting solemnly by the body, recalling in hushed tones remembrances of the home folks. Uh, And I think this was an occasion that kind of brought them back thinking about home. Yeah. So, anyway, so they sat with her all oh, night. Sounds like Thanksgiving. <laughs> it does. And some of them actually sang some hymns that they had remembered from back my, home. My, my, my. Now, the Indians, for their part, they set up their chant for the day, dead. And so the, no, n- the night passed with tones of Christian hymns mingling with the sing-song rise and fall of the Yurok death song. And now, again, you, so you've got two uh, different... Uh, what do you say? Communities. Cultures. Cultures, yeah, cu- cultures coming yeah. together. Well, the funeral was held at sunrise just as the light began spilling over the hills. And uh, so long, sa- these hills were sacred to the Yurok's. Uh, anyway, somewhere on uh, a rise near where uh, Hopkins Creek empties into the Klamath, the girl was buried. I see. Okay, an old-timer living near the, or, uh, the then remembers his grandfather telling how for seven nights following the funeral, the Yurok's kept an honorary vigil over the grave, chanting their uh, sing-song thing for seven days after the burial, because okay, that was their culture. So, anyway, history doesn't record what Rick Meyer said in his uh, eulogy, but we do know that the miners were able to make a positive identification of the body before it was consigned to the grave. So here's what happened. Sometime during the excitement of the night and the day past, Rick Meyer had come across an item in uh, the Humboldt Times newspaper. Okay? So... And here's what it said in the newspaper. We regret to record that Miss Cyril St. Hare, uh, or have, a beautiful young lady of 18, well-connected and highly educated, well on the way to the Upper Klamath to meet her uh, fiancé, a lucky miner and rancher, met with an accident that may have proved fatal. 
making her last day's journey on a spirited mare in company of a pack train. They were met by a band of Indians at a sudden turn in the road. The mare took fright and fled with her fair burden with the utmost speed. The most diligent search has failed to discover where to. Such a ride among the peaks and defiles of the Klamath is full of danger and fears are entertained that she has been dashed to pieces. Her friends will be deeply grateful for any news of her dead or alive. Mm. So that's what, uh, what Rick Meyer found in the newspaper. So now he knew who she was. Yeah. So as the Indians were uh, dressing the body, uh, Rick Meyer discovered that uh, there was a gold locket around her neck, and it was engraved uh, with some initials. And just before she was buried, the miners respectfully removed her jewelry and sent it with a note to her fiancé and her family in San Francisco. But kind of in a sad note, in the spring of 1856, uh, there was a lot of heavy snow, melting snow in the Trinity, and the high flood water ripped open the grave, carrying the body away, oh and completely obliterating any trace. Oh so my. there's no way they can even know where the grave finally ended up. So, oh my. Uh, it's just kind of a... But it brought both cultures together. together yeah. yeah. Uh, and again, that's the story. What about Rick Meyer? What happened to him? Don't know. He just you know, probably hung around for a while. Don't they know. didn't make fun of him anymore, probably. They probably didn't. But, you know, that's a story you don't hear about in the mining camps. That No. It but, really civilized them. You know, it did. And, again, I think uh, a lot of them started thinking, okay, here's this beautiful young lady. Yeah. And they might have thought, you know, I've got a beautiful daughter or a beautiful wife back home. And if something happens to her, I would hope... They're taking care of kind of what we were talking about earlier. Yes, yeah. So it brings one back in a melancholy mood. Yeah, uh, it would, and that's why you know the miners loved like especially like uh, uh, some of the little girls that sang a dance yeah. for them. They yeah. they just would throw money and. So that's the story of the lost bride. Okay, the lost bride. The lost bride. Wow, you did it again. Thank you, and I'm glad you had a great Thanksgiving. We did. Thank okay. you.